Surah number 33, ayah number 45, 6, what's the general? Is it? 49. Ayah 49. I'll be alive in a shaitan يا أيها الذين آمنوا إذا نكحتم المؤمنات ثم هن من قبل أن تمسونهن فما لكم عليهن من عدة تعتدونها فمتعوهن وسرحوهن صراحا جميلا These ayat are speaking about the legal behavior of believers in their marriage towards their wives and also the legal aspects of the Prophet's marriages. So there are rules that govern Muslim marriages that relate to the Prophet exclusively and there are rules that govern everybody. Certain rules apply only to the Prophet and other rules apply to everybody. This is the focus of the Surah that Muslims must believe that the Prophet is a step or two above and ahead of his followers in rank, in authority, and in privileges. So there are certain privileges that Allah subhanahu wa allowed the Prophet and those do not extend to his ummah, that is our aqidah, that is our iman. That is the most important value of these ayat. Now, whether or not in today's society, you agree or disagree is totally besides the point. That's not in discussion. Whether you like it or not, Allah says, that's my prerogative. If I allow my Nabi to do something, then that is my choice. It is not the Nabi's choice. Right? So, in any given company, when you are the sole owner and proprietor, of everything, and you own everything, absolutely, totally, and everybody's indebted to you, you may give certain bonuses to certain people, for whatever reason, and for any reason, and for no reason. doesn't work like that anymore, I know. <laughs> Especially nowadays, in the climate that we're in, the CEOs getting whatever bonuses they get. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you are... Um, you are the king, you are the ruler, it is your kingdom, and everybody is your subject, then usually monarchs will have the authority, privilege, and the right to designate grants and gifts the way he wants to. That's just normal behavior. So Allah is Malikul Mulk. He is the king of all kings. So if Allah through his fadl granted the Prophet ﷺ certain provisions in marriage, through marriage, 
that were not extended to the rest of the believers, then what is the approach of the believers towards the Prophet? Allah favored him. Allah gave you a bonus. That's Allah's prerogative, not the Nabi's prerogative. What is the Nabi's prerogative? He may accept or he may not accept. He may accept or he may not accept. What is the adab of the Nabi? Sometimes he takes and sometimes he does not take. Sometimes he takes and sometimes he doesn't take. In the story of Suleiman Allah subhanahu says that Suleiman asked Allah Rabbi habli mulk la Allah give me a kingdom that will not be befitting for anybody after me. Suleiman made this dua. Allah subhanahu wa said in response to that dua, هذا عطاؤنا فمنن أو أمسك بغير حساب This is our grant to you. You may take it or you may not take it. So to you. Either way, بغير حساب There's no حساب Meaning there's nothing binding on you and we will not hold you in a, a responsible whether you take what we give you or you do not take what we give you. So these are these components of this discussion. It is Allah's prerogative to grant legal authority to anybody and everybody. It is Allah's authority and prerogative to grant the Nabi something more than he grants other people. This is known as khususiyat al-Nabi, in the special privileges of the Prophet Then it is the Nabi's prerogative either to take or not to take. These are three levels. Allah is the king of all kings. He may give and he may not give. Believers must see that Allah's prerogative, not theirs, to challenge, to criticize, and to comment on. The Nabi may receive and take, and he may receive and not partake. Either way. So if you understand this framework, then you'll understand the discussion today. If you sit and you put on your, mashallah, cap on, thinking that this doesn't make sense or if I say this to my neighbor or to my colleague or to somebody else then they will see this as something that is wrong then we will say that the address is not to the non-believer the address is to the believer do you believe? right if you believe, then you should be happy that you believe. What about my non-Muslim believer? Well, he doesn't believe. So the, the question of him appreciating the legal authorities and provisions and guidelines is mute. Because wherever you live, you follow the guidelines, the legal guidelines of the place where you live. 
this happened in Medina and the believers appreciated this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's legal framework and system and they believed, they accepted, they appreciated and there's nothing else to it. Is this allowed today? No, because the Prophet ﷺ is not with us today. Was it allowed for him? Yes. It was allowed. Right? So we must concede. As much as it might disturb some of you, I'm sure, today, but that is not our responsibility to remove that disturbance because that disturbance is self-imposed. You just assume that everybody is supposed to believe in what you believe in. No. Okay. So, Iman is first and foremost. Amal is post-Iman, not prior to Iman. If you believe, then you act. If you don't believe, then your act is redundant, according to our understanding of reward and so on. Anyway, so the first ayah speaks to every Muslim. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا نَكَحْتُمُ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ ثُمَّ تَلَّقْتُمُهُنَّ مِنْ قَبْلَ الْمَسُّوهُنَّ Oh, you who believe, when you marry believing women, and then you divorce them before you touch them, meaning before you consummate. Now you will say, why is this rule here? So why? Because it happens. Right? Because it happens. That's why it's here. And if you don't believe me, then you are wrong. It happens, unfortunately. Yeah. Enough times for this ayah to be justified. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So even before consummation, people get divorced for whatever reason. Allah save us and protect us from such fitan and trials and tribulations. In that case, if that is the case, then they will not have to sit in any iddah that they count is not upon you, is not binding upon you. You may go, both of you, your own ways. And then give them provision the way that you feel it is appropriate for half of the mahr. And an extension of that also. You may be gracious and release them in a very gracious releasing. It didn't work out, it didn't happen. You move on, basically. Don't make it such a fuss that you say this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. Just let go of it. This is the attitude of the believers towards such a condition or trial or a tribulation a test where they are encouraged to move on, not to dwell, and to get caught in, in that, uh, remain stuck in that pit, and say, life is over. It happened, unfortunately, so you, this is what you, the point here is that the Idda period is no longer uh, required. Ya ayyuhin nabiyu inna ahlamna lak azwajik allati this ayah is addressing the Prophet O oh, Nabi, indeed we have legalized for you, made halal for you, made lawful for 
your wives, those whom you have given them their mahr and their full compensation, ujurahun, which was the tradition of the Prophet ﷺ, it is sunnah and it is wajib in our fiqh that without the mahr, the husband will be committing a sin, although he is not entitled to the marriage in Hanafi fiqh. وَمَا مَلَكْتِ يَمِينُكَ And also we have made halal for you any one that you may own. That came through the booty that which Allah has now given to you as booty. Allah has returned to you. Meaning this is before the distribution. After distribution, as you know, this is allowed for all believers. وَبَنَاتِ عَمِّكَ and the girls and the daughters of your uncle paternal and the daughters of your aunt paternal and the daughters of your uncle maternal and the daughters of your aunt uh, maternal those who migrated with you and any believing woman if she offers herself to you to the Nabi if the Nabi decides to marry her Specifically for you, not for believers. This was a provision to the Prophet that if anybody came up to the Prophet, I gave myself to you, even without mahr, then that was allowed for the Prophet, not for others. That's one. The fact that the Prophet never did this is what I was referring to in my opening statement. It is up to the Nabi to take what Allah gives him and it is up to the Nabi not to take what Allah has given him. And that shows you the level of taqwa and piety and restraint the Prophet ﷺ had in his own life and his lifestyle which we will comment on inshallah in a moment. قَدْ عَلِمْنَا مَا فَرَضْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ فِي أَزْوَاجِهِمْ وَمَا مَلَكَتْ إِيمَانُهُمْ لِكَيْ لَا يَكُونَ عَلَيْكَ حَرَجٌ وَكَانُ اللَّهُ غَفُورٌ حَلِمًا We are well informed and we know very much about what we have decreed for them with regard to their wives and with regard to whatever their right hands own so that it does not become a burden upon you O Muhammad ﷺ Prophet because indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always been exceptionally forgiving and exceptionally merciful. This is something that is for the Prophet and also for believers that if you give the mahr and the contract is made, then there is no harm upon the Prophet legislating this. That is the meaning of this ayah and this verse. So we see here, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet certain provisions with regards to marrying women in the community. Um, then the Prophet then did marry seven women, as you know, at one time. And he maintained relationships with uh, all of them. And then Allah says, مَنْ or Nabi, as for your visitations, uh, you may now delay whomever you want to meet, and you may now seek refuge or give refuge to you 
whichever way you want to. But the Prophet ﷺ always had equal uh, visitations to all of his wives as they were all special to him, even though his heart might have been in one place and not in every place. And whichever one you wish, you may free yourself, receive yourself, and you may take whatever. This is the way the Prophet ﷺ has been instructed or given a provision to do. There's no harm in that if you do that. This, all of this, that you may defer and you may expedite whomever you want to, it is so that they will be happier and you will bring joy to their eyes and they will not grieve because of what Allah, uh, because of what you give them, all of them. Allah Allah knows exactly what's in their hearts. Uh, in your heart, Allah has always been uh, all-knowing, always been all wise and so on. So the Prophet relationships with his wives was based on equality, that he would visit them equally and stay with them equally except when traveling, when the equality was not a rule. Observing equality at that time. As you know, the Prophet would draw lots to see which one of his wives he would take with him if he took them with him. On his journeys with those journeys were basically for jihad fi sabilillah. They weren't excursions. They weren't going out for entertainment. They were in the path of Allah with very difficult traveling. Food and water came when it came. Right. So somehow we missed that picture. It doesn't make too much sense to those people who say that they had a good time. No, it was difficult. There was a lot of sacrifice that was required to travel with the Prophet It was easy for them not to travel with him. It was easy for them to stay at home. As I've mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet these provisions. He married seven at one time. And Allah knows what's in the hearts of people, as you will see. In the next ayah, Allah then clarifies everything for us. Women are not allowed for you after this, nor that you change them. Even though their beauty might amaze you. Even though you may be intrigued with their beauty, you're not allowed to do anything after this. Except that which has come to you as legal ownership, meaning the ruler of Egypt sent a gift as they would do in those days, along with, those, with that gift package came Maria, radiallahu anha, and the Prophet married her also. Along with that, before that, at the Khaybar expedition, Safiya came, the Prophet received her as part of the Fay and the Ghanima and the booty. He married her also. He released her from captivity and then married her. This is how the Prophet ﷺ was Maria, 
remained Maria as a what we call it, as someone under his patronage and his ownership. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always been a guardian over everything. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referring to what I've just said that there are privileges Allah gave to the Prophet which he did not extend to the believers. No one from the believers made any fuss about this. They said this is Allah's prerogative, he does what he wants. But the Prophet ﷺ was very careful not to overextend uh, his hand and uh, not to become too indulgent with uh, all of this because he had a much higher role, much uh, more important role to play than his domestic role as a husband. If you are committed to a human being, then you should be committed. But the Rasul and the Nabi is committed to Nabu and Risala, not to women. A husband is committed to whom? A wife. That is why I say, and I continue to say, the Prophet was not a good husband. He is a Nabi of Allah. He is a Rasulullah. Don't measure him with that cage. He's the best husband. There is to be his role model. But when, when you conceive him as being someone who is dedicated to his wife, then you are overlooking the other responsibility. Which is what? He is a Nabi of Allah, he is a Rasul of Allah. So, if there were occasions, as we saw in the, big, in the surah previously, that the Prophet did not like what his wife said or did, then they were reprimanded. Not by him, but by God. That's not the case with us. We are husbands and wives, so we are dedicated to our wives and husbands. God is not going to come and tell us, either husband or wife, what you do is wrong. So what do you do? You follow the Rasul. You follow the Nabi. You follow the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That's how you maintain your relationship. With the Rasul ﷺ, he was on a much higher pedestal of life. So his focus in life was to be the Nabi of Allah, even with his wives. Or especially with his wives. His focus with his wives to be the Rasul of Allah with his wives. At home, in the masjid, in the community, wherever he was, he was the Rasul of Allah. So now, he behaved the way a Nabi behaves. And he behaved the way the Rasul behaves. That is why he is a role model for every person in the community, be it at home, be it in the masjid, be it in the bazaar, be it in the community, be it at warfare, be it wherever you are. Okay? You will find an example in the Rasul for every occasion of life. That's the difference. So now, he had these wives and no doubt he fulfilled their rights. There's no doubt. Otherwise, he would not be a role model. At the same time, the surah, as we have discussed before, has imposed upon his wives that they must behave slightly differently from other people's wives. And their level of taqwa must be higher than the taqwa of other people, other women, and their appreciation for the Nabi and the Rasul 
must be much higher and deeper than the appreciation of other people in the community because they are the wives of the Prophet Ya Nisa al-Nabi O wives of the Nabi So they are addressed that way So we see that before we kind of go into the seerah and dissect it and analyze it and analyze it again and we start uh, developing these ideas the Prophet was such a great husband we say he was such a great husband because he is a Nabi of Allah because he is the Rasul of Allah and they were such good wives because they were the wives of the Nabi they had to be otherwise they'd be as the ayah says, they'll be told, pack up and go, basically. Right. So when we read the seerah, and we're introducing the seerah of the Prophet to ourselves first, not to our children. Usually it's, it's a, it's a cop-out, I say. I want my children to know the seerah. Do you know the seerah? How about you? Have you read the seerah? The seerah doesn't apply to you, it doesn't apply to your kids. No. You read the seerah, you understand it. Then you teach your children, this is the seerah. When you understand the seerah the way it's supposed to be understood in, in the light of these ayat that are mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a universal mission for the Prophet. As we discussed last, shahidun wa mubashirun wa nadira. That he is a global witness and he is a mubashir. He gives glad tidings and he is a warner. That's the global, international, universal message and uh, what, what let's say the job description and portfolio of the Prophet in his personal life we forget that the Prophet has a life in his home also now in his personal life this is how Allah has facilitated the institution of Nabuwa right? so the legal provisions Allah is giving the Nabi and only the Nabi is to facilitate his work as a Nabi. It is not for the sake of allowing the Prophet ﷺ to indulge in this type of behavior where his only focus in life is this. And that's what you get from reading the Sira. Although he was allowed, he did not partake as much as perhaps people might want to think so. So there you must defend the character of the Prophet by saying that uh, when he had Khadija, the thought of another wife never occurred. And it was only after she died that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Wahi and through Jibreel instructed him to marry Aisha now that he wanted it was through Wahi so when Wahi says do this, he do this otherwise there were many as the Quraysh came and begged him that is it that you want money we'll give you money is it that you want authority over us we'll give you authority is it that you want women we'll give you all the women in Arabia so he said no to all of that it is not about me. This is about fulfilling what Allah wants from me and of me. Because if you put the sun in my right hand and the moon in my left hand, I'll never give up what I have because that's my duty as a Nabi. So it wasn't the dunya he was seeking. So now, when, when you read the seerah through the filthy lens, 
okay, of modern day media, right? And that lens is filthy, it's putrid, it, it, it is uh, atrocious. And you want to read the seerah through that lens, then the only comment you get, hey, what is it? Zulmanizer. Why don't you take off that lens? Just for a few seconds of your life, remove the lens of the modern day media and see the Nabi as a Nabi. A prophet as a prophet. Who in Medina as a woman would not be available to the Nabi? These were people who would fight to pick up the leftover wudu water when he made wudu. Ooh, the Prophet If the Sahaba saw the Prophet making wudu, we see in the seerah and in the sunnah that they would rush to pick up the remaining wudu water off the ground. So who would not give their lives to the Nabi? There's not a single Sahabi. Neither man, no woman, no child, no slave. Right. So in that community where everybody wanted to be with the Nabi وسلم, what did the Nabi do? He married only when there was the facilitation of Nabuwa. The marriage with Aisha was through Wahi. The marriage of Soda was after Khadija because of a life partner. So that was a need. Every other lady that he married, a Sahabiya, was either because he wanted to support a divorced woman or he wanted to give refuge to someone whose husband has died, like Umm Salma. Right? Or it was through the instruction of Allah, as in this surah, Zainab, to make a point, a social point, is not haram for any Muslim to marry the divorced wife of an adopted son. To make that point clear, Allah said, marry her. And Allah married them. Every other idea that the Prophet was always engaged and indulged somehow thinking about women, that is from the unfortunate okay, misunderstanding how life works. When you are a Nabi, then you want to spend your night with your wives. Is that true? What did the Prophet do when he was alone with his wives? One wife at a time. Most of the night he was where? In Ibadah. You ever read the stories of Aisha? The Prophet was there. He was with me. And we were in a small room. And whenever he made sajda, I had to now move my legs because there's no space in the room for him to make sajda. So what do you think he's doing? Is he in ibadah or is he there for pleasure? You understand what I'm saying? Read the seerah with the lens of a believer, not with the lens of modern day media. If you don't, then you're in trouble. Then it's on you. It's not on the Quran. It's not on the Sunnah of the Prophet. It's on you. You have a filthy mind, and that's how you see everybody in the world, especially your Nabi. And you are not willing to concede that. And then it goes to your Aqidah. It goes to worldview. 
It goes to your inability to appreciate Allah's fadl on the Nabi. And the Sahaba saw this as Allah's fadl on the Nabi. Allah wants him, uh, uh, wants to give the Rasul some privileges, albeit that's his choice. Allah is the one who has absolute choice and freedom to choose for whomever, whatever he wants. And this is the way that you read the seer of the Prophet and you read these ayat so that you are not confused by your nafs. That's number one. Number two is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet the greatest amount of taqwa and that is the discussion for another time. But anyway, gives us this understanding that Allah is always guarding over the believers so that the believers do not misunderstand and then misrepresent the institution of prophethood. The surah is about understanding, appreciating, representing the institution of the Prophet and the institution of Khatmul Nabuwa, the finality of the Nabuwa of the Prophet. So, when you are blessed with this and you resist, then you have taqwa. Right? Abstinence there goes a long way into understanding the role of the Nabi in front of his, uh, his followers and supporters. And they didn't do anything to contradict what Allah subhanahu wa wanted of the believers who respected him the way Allah wanted him, them to respect him. That is part of the Iman. The next story shows us a discipline that how to behave with the household of the Prophet This is how you behave when you are invited by the Nabi to his house. So as in the early story where the Prophet married Zainab the divorced wife of Zayn this story refers to that night when the Prophet ﷺ brought her home and he invited a few people over for food and a meal. Mm-hmm. To hear, that is the story. Here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is vouching for the modesty of the Prophet and his temperament. So the story is they were invited. And they overstayed their welcome. But the Prophet ﷺ did not say anything to them. They, he waited until they left. Out of courtesy. As with the case of his wives, when the Prophet ﷺ did not say anything to his wives, even though he was upset at them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came down with a revelation and said, this is who you are, this is what you are. If you want to remain with the Prophet, then you must do this. If you don't want to remain with the Prophet, then uh, you must do this. So he gave them a choice. The Prophet ﷺ then gave all the wives a choice. There also we see that the Prophet ﷺ was not abrupt 
and he was not uh, always uh, doing what uh, perhaps other people do and perhaps they should do. Here the Prophet them shows tremendous restraint and is patient with his guests who have overstayed out of courtesy, out of his position as a Nabi. As his position as a Nabi. Because if he did that, then the rest of the Ummah will follow him. And he's not allowed for you uh, to overstay your welcome in anyone's house. As per this ayah, sometimes you are allowed to say that because you're not a Nabi. So you mustn't say, I'm going to measure up to the standard I'm making up. Maintain your relationships, be polite about it, but say what it is you need to say. Here the Sahaba overstayed uh, and uh, they did what people do at the time of Nikah and so on, engage in conversation after conversation and so on. So Allah subhanahu wa said, okay. Allah is never ashamed to speak the truth. Yeah. So Allah is now going to defend the Prophet and inform the Sahaba that although this is an occasion for happiness and joy, which marriage is, when you marry someone, it's an occasion for happiness and joy. And although you're there to show your happiness and joy for the marriage of the Prophet and to join him, in his happiness, you must not show your happiness in such a way that hurts him. Because hurting the Nabi will lead you to kufr. Now it's a matter of aqidah. So with the Nabi, everything you do with him or against him is going to impact your iman. And if you don't be careful, you will end up doing something that will lead you away from Iman and that is the point of this instruction to the believers although this only uh, refers to the believers who were invited to the Prophet Sallallahu house that night but everyone is included Ya O you who believe do not enter the homes of the Prophet Sallallahu except that you are given permission to do so you then when ila ta'amin for food you go there to eat and wait for a meal not that you come early waiting, anticipating the moment when you are engaged in conversation and so on but when you are invited into the house as you would wait outside the house of the Prophet ﷺ before you go in and without his permission you do not enter as you do not enter anyone's house without their permission. That's the civilities. And when you have finished eating then then disperse because he invited you to eat and he did not invite you to overstay your welcome and stay indefinitely for a longer time than what is expected of you. And uh, do not linger. Uh, try and listen to conversation that you want. You are now. Uh, you want to be comfortable with conversation. That the party is just starting. 
This is the Nabi of Allah. And this is his private home. In someone's private home, they have private times and private hours. And their private hours do not necessarily mix with social hours. You must appreciate the difference. If it's a public place and you have a social place and you're invited there. But this is for the Nabi, that the Nabi does not do this in society. He does this in his private home. So if he invites you to his private home, then uh, maintain the standards and the adab of visiting the Nabi in his home. Do not treat it like a social hall or place that you are going there to entertain yourselves and be very merry and happy. Don't do that. Why? All of that for you, this hurts the Prophet. But the Nabi, the Prophet because of his uh, innate character and his uh, immense modesty and humbleness, he is shy. He is shy to tell you that he is offended. So not every time you are offended should you be eager to say, I'm offended following the Nabi but there are times when you do say that which is legally fine in fiqh is fine but here's, this is the Nabi you are talking about uh, the Khatam al-Nabiyin the last Nabi who is going to be a role model for all human beings so when all human beings are in front of him the only thing they will see from the Nabi is this level of modesty and abstinence restraint so there was a lot of sexual restraint on the part of the Nabi and there's a lot of social restraint and there's a lot of personal restraint from the part of the Nabi وسلم, which is called Sabr which is the cornerstone of Taqwa the cornerstone of Taqwa is that you restrain yourself when you don't necessarily have to prove a point this is who? This is the Nabi. The Nabi is a role model. So his standard of taqwa is far greater than the standard of everybody in the Ummah collectively. That's our qidah. His taqwa is so huge. We can't measure all of our taqwa collectively, including the taqwa of Abu Bakr Uthman Ali, against the taqwa of the Prophet This is how they are. This is how Allah subhanahu wa made the Umbiya so that they remain role models and they remain fallible. So there is a lesson for those people who say the Prophet is human. Everybody uh, who reads any kind of media today and anyone who's educated, mashallah, in the secular system, they get to appreciate the humanness of humans. And they are told that every human being makes mistakes. And then they impose that on the Nabi also, that the Nabi is a human. Therefore, he made mistakes. Therefore, he's not fallible. He's not infallible. He is fallible. So this ayah tells you what? Something very different. Even at that level, where legally he was allowed to tell people what he thought, he didn't. Just as legally he was allowed to have many women, but he didn't. Same conversation. 
One is personal, domestic, private, and the other is social. This shows us that the Rasul of Allah and the Nabi of Allah, they have a loyalty towards Allah. And that loyalty spills over into their personal lives, their domestic lives, their social lives, whichever part of their lives there is, is going to be in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is called haya, modesty. And the Prophet said that what we have benefited from the teachings of the Prophets before us is what? If you don't have haya and modesty, then you can do whatever it is you want to do. Which is true. If you don't have sharam, haya, modesty, and respect for you and for others, then that is what human beings do. They do what the heck they want to do. No one's going to stop. No one's going to stop. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ, being a master of his khulq and akhlaq and ethics and morals, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now through this story is representing the Nabi as this grand human being who is now infallible. Even at that level of a personal relationship with his friends, his sahaba, his companions, he is now going to tilt the scales of his moral behavior towards negative. Now, you won't find this any other human being except the Nabi. Ever. You look at any Nabi, and every Nabi, you will find that haya, modesty, will be the most pronounced feature of that person. Of that Nabi. Most pronounced. Haya. Modesty. The no. Even though the fiqh allows it. And this is not class for fiqh and sharia. I'm saying that this is the position of the Nabi. That the Nabi is not only offended, Allah is saying he's hurt. In the thalikum, what is it? Kana yu'zim Nabi. This hurts the Prophet. But the Prophet says, no, I'm not going to express my hurt because they're my people. It's called leadership. And in that love for his people, Allah responds. وَاللَّهُ لَا يَسْتَحْيِي مِنَ الْحَقِّ Allah doesn't shy away from the truth. Allah is al-haqq, the ultimate truth and reality. And he does not shy away from the truth. So my Nabi may do so, but I represent the Nabi when he does not represent himself. Right. So the Nabi is representing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he does not represent himself, Allah comes in and says, this is what I say about you. That when you are invited for food at a time when there is happiness and joy, don't overextend your welcome because you are in someone's private home. And when you are in a private home, especially the home of a Nabi, you must go and disperse after your meal has finished. You have been invited for a reason, and then go away and do what it is you need to do. But don't linger there, so that you have more and more time for conversing with the Prophet The truth is, the Sahaba were not there okay, to enjoy each other's company. 
they were there to enjoy the company of the Prophet And you see now a different level of dedication, devotion to the Prophet. So the Sahaba said, this is a very rare occasion that we will be in the house of the Prophet On this rare occasion, we should take advantage of being so close that we are in his house, Mubarak, and we are in his company, and we must do everything to take advantage of this. But in that sequence, they did not look at this angle, which is the Prophet now was waiting for them to leave, and which hurt him, but he didn't say anything, because he is a Nabi of Allah, and every Nabi of Allah has haya, has modesty. They won't do something that is going to mislead their people, potentially. Because if he said something, then the Sahaba would have reported. When we went to the Prophet ﷺ, he told us to leave. And then this would be a sunnah. And everybody in the ummah would follow the sunnah. He said, no. I'm not going to make that precedent. I'm not going to take that lead and say that you must follow my lead now. So then Allah says, okay, if you don't do that, I'm going to do it. Wallahu Allah is never ashamed to speak the truth, especially to you, O Sahaba, companions of the Prophet that this shows something else, which is Allah's concern for the behavior of the Sahaba. As it shows us the immense love for the Nabi, this also shows Allah's concern and respect for how the Sahaba must be reformed. So he didn't leave the Sahaba unreformed. Right. So now this goes two ways. One is that the Nabi is already on a high pedestal. That's a given. The second, the Sahaba now have realized that they are also on a high pedestal. Very high status in the ranks of Allah subhanahu wa where Allah sends down a revelation to reform their behavior, to improve their behavior to regulate their desire to be with the Prophet to regulate the, the way they express their love for the Prophet This is most intriguing and most important as this will be a prelude to our discussion on the following ayat which will come inshallah next time we meet. Alhamdulillah.